0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Good. Next Sunday, men, I hope you'll be here. It's going to be Father's Day. We've got a breakfast planned for you, and uh, Scott Dawson is going to be speaking at that. And then in our services next Sunday, Scott and Hunter, that's father and son, Scott, of course, you know, is an evangelist. Uh, They're both part of our church. They're both members of our church now. And um, Hunter works with his dad in that evangelistic enterprise. Uh, You know, Scott's usually, he was here this morning. He's usually all over. He's everywhere. And uh, they're going to be here next Sunday, that father and son, as they'll preach. Next Sunday, I'll be preaching for my son in Jacksonville, Florida at... uh, Church of 1122. Don't ask me to go into how do they get that name. But um, I'll be preaching it uh, there for them. So you be faithful here. I'll try to be faithful in bringing the word of those folks there. Now, um, yesterday, Barry and I walked into Barnes & Noble while Debbie and Courtney uh, went into the demon-possessed place called a shoe warehouse or something. And so while we were doing something godly, and they were not, Um, I found a book yesterday um, on uh, speaking, and so, of course, that captures my attention. It was the only one up there. Do you know what happens when we're in a, a moment like this, where all of us are together and you're listening to somebody speak? They've done, not only do we breathe the same air, but let me tell you, there'll come a moment in the service where our breathing will become almost syncopated. And where our hearts, even though everybody has a different rhythm to their heart, there'll be moments, if not physically but spiritually, our hearts will begin to beat together. But listen to this. They've done MRIs on speakers while they were speaking. And they've done it on people while they were listening that in those moments when I get to a certain place in a sermon, there's a part of my brain that will light up on an MRI, and if you're listening intently, it will light up the same place in your brain as well so that we're sharing this same experience together. That's kind of, and I found it, y'all just sit there and look at me, but I find it fascinating that we're all thinking the same thing. Now, I think that's why God says, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. It's important that you're here. The New Testament says Christ, the head, and the body, we're the body, are joined together by the preaching of the word when we come together. And I don't think you can just get that on Zoom or Facebook or whatever. I'm glad you folks are there. God bless you for being here. But I want to tell you, I say it's like this. It's like, I grew up with two older sisters. Uh, Watching church on Zoom is like kissing your sister. You do it, but it just doesn't have any effect. So, there you go. All right, listen, I didn't, take your Bibles. And uh, look with me at uh, 2 Samuel chapter nine. Several years ago, there were two ladies in the late 1970s that uh, did something that was really unheard of. In that that, uh, man-dominated world of Wall Street, these two ladies by the name of Linda Thaler and uh, Robin Colville started an ad agency. Now, you just stop and think of all the ad agencies on Wall Street. They had one client. But the amazing thing is this, is these two ladies Drove that company and it became a major ad agency uh, in America. They had just one. Now they represent Revlon. That, listen, makeup, that's all you need is one makeup company. They also, they also represent, now think about this, Pfizer, the pharmaceutical company. They're making money hand over fist right now. So Revlon, Pfizer, they came up with the Aflac duck, these two ladies. They also wrote the theme song for the Toys R Us, you know, I'm, I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid. They wrote that, extremely successful. Well, they decided to write a book. Now they're both authors. They wrote a book telling how they achieved what they achieved. And the title of the book is this. Now get it, The Power of Being Nice the power of being nice. And the bottom line of the book is this. They said we started out not to have power plays, not to dominate, not to be crude or crass. We just decided that if we were nice to people, they would want to come to us and come to them they did. And I thought to myself as I read the book, why didn't the church write a book like this? Because this is literally the fruit of the Spirit, kindness. Now, Paul has given us now four of these, love, joy, peace, patience. And we come this morning now to the fifth one, which is kindness. And I want to show you something in the Old Testament. I want you to see the kindness of a man who had experienced the kindness of God. He's going to turn around and he's going to pour that kindness out on another person. Uh, That person who has experienced the kindness of God is a guy by the name of David. 2 Samuel chapter 9, and I'm going to catch you in just a moment. We'll begin in the very first verse. But let me tell you something about the Old Testament. The Old Testament in 300 BC was translated out of the Hebrew into Greek by about 72 scholars. They called it the Septuagint because septi in Greek means 70. They had these 72 Hebrew Greek scholars who took the Hebrew Old Testament and translated it into the New. Now listen, a lot of times when you read Paul, Paul is quoting from the Septuagint. Uh, once or twice in the Gospels, Jesus will quote from the Septuagint. He usually is quoting from the Hebrew Old Testament. But when you come to the Septuagint, the word kindness is translated Christos. It means kind, to be kind or the quality of kindness. Now, I want you to listen to this. They use that word the way we use superlatives today. You go to the grocery store, and you buy some um, Macintosh apples, and you take a bite out of it, and you say, ah, that's a delicious apple. Well, in their day, it would be a Christos apple. They used it for figs. If you had a tree that had really plump, juicy uh, real sweet figs, they were called krestos Christo, figs. Krestos figs. Gold was the same way. The purest gold today is mined in Wales. Um, but in that day, if they hit a vein of gold that was had very little alloy in it, they would call it krestos gold, kind gold. Well, David was known as a krestos king because he was so different than what Israel had had. Israel had only had one king up to this point. That was Saul. And I don't have to tell you how mean, how bitter, how angry, how touchy, how irritable Saul was. He was furious one moment, and then he would be all right the next moment, and then again he would swing. He had these mood swings. The Bible says it was an evil spirit that was sent that would come on Saul. And so that's all the nation had known, somebody that's just irritable and touchy and back and forth. You didn't know what what's he going to be today. What's he going to be like today? What's he going to be like tomorrow? Well, David was not that. He was called a Christos king, a kind king, a king that was different than anyone else. And you saw it in Saul and David's relationship. Saul constantly hunted David down like a dog to kill him. But every time David would have interaction with Saul, he was always kind. He was always respectful. Uh, David said, I'll not touch the head of the Lord's anointed. He showed great deference and great respect uh, towards Saul. So David was known as somebody that was different. Uh, He was different from Saul. He was a Christos king, a kind king. Now, as I get into this fifth fruit of the Spirit that uh, Paul talks about in Galatians chapter five, I want to give you just a brief little concept or definition of what kindness is. Kindness is love in action. Uh, it's, it's love expressing itself. That's really what kindness is. Now, let me show you that in the text. Let me take you to Titus, where Paul is writing Titus. In Titus chapter three, and I'm going to pick it up in verse three, And you'll see this because he calls God kind. Now watch this. For we also once were foolish ourselves, talking about us as sinners. We were disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But, I love those. I love those conjunctions like that. But. Right in the middle of that, we were hateful, we hated each other, we were terrible, but look at this, when the kindness of God, our Savior, in his love for mankind appeared, now watch what he's saying. He's saying when the kindness of God showed up, what did it do? Look at verse five, he saved us. That's the action. Kindness is love in action. If you wanna see the love and the kindness of God, look at Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, that's what it is. It is love that is being expressed. It is love that is being acted out. Now, I'm gonna give you five things about kindness uh, n- because I want you to go back now to 2 Samuel. I'm sorry, I keep saying 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter nine, verse one. And I wanna show you five things here in David. You're gonna see this kindness in, in the life of David and, and it's, uh, it's extremely extremely unusual back there number one the first thing is this kindness always takes the initiative now just watch this look at this when I read it and tell me what else do you think then David said is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness he's taking an initiative there now let me give you just a quick background if you look back two chapters to 2nd Samuel 7 You read this in verse one. It came about when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all of his enemies. What he wanted to do was to build God a temple. He thinks, well, hey, I'm I'm at rest. I'm I'm not at war. Nothing is going on now. I've, I've, I've expanded the kingdom. Everything is going well. What can I do? I'll build a temple for God. And he wants to do it. And the prophet comes back to him and says, David, it was good that it was in your heart to do it, but God says, no, you can't do it. Uh, your son, you're gonna have a son, and he's the guy that's going to do that. So David now is still sitting there I think he's sitting there in the throne room. And by the way, if you go to Israel with me, I'll take you down on Mount Zion. I'll take you down to where David's palace was on Mount Zion. They have, uh, archaeologists have opened this up now and it's fascinating. The whole thing uh, was made out of rock, his entire palace was a rock palace. Well, you you get to David and there he is sitting in this rock palace, and he thinks well okay i can 't build a temple. What can I do? And to his mind, he remembers the covenant that he had made with Jonathan, and he says i 'm going to find somebody in saul 's house that I can show the kindness of God to He's going to say that in a few minutes. But right here in verse 20, he says, I'm going to show him kindness. I want to find somebody. Now, nobody came in there and told that to David. Nobody walked into the throne room and said, Hey, David, you don't have anything else to do. There's a descendant of Saul out here, and he's got some real physical limitations. Why don't you do something nice for him? Nobody did that. Nobody came in and reminded him of Jonathan. Nobody came in and mentioned Saul, but he's sitting there. He thinks of it because let me tell you something, kindness always takes the initiative. It doesn't sit and wait to be told what to do. We love him because he initiative. We love him because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, initiative, he died for us. I love that passage over in Romans chapter 2 where it says this, Do you think lightly of the kindness, of his kindness, his tolerance, his patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? It's the kindness of God that draws me. Not the wrath of God, not the judgment of God, but the kindness of Almighty God in Jesus Christ that draws me to Jesus, to the cross, and to salvation. It always takes the initiative. If God had waited for us, he would still be waiting. Amen. Amen. He took the initiative. Kindness always. Now, let me just ask you, how many opportunities this week did you have to show somebody kindness? Now, I'm not talking about courtesy. I'll come back to that in a minute because kindness is not the same thing as courtesy. We walk by somebody and say, sup, and we think, oh, well, that's kindness. No, that, that's a sup, <laughs> sup, sup, you know, kind of deal. That's, maybe that's being courteous, I guess. Uh, but it's not kindness. Kindness actually does something for somebody. How many opportunities did we miss this week to do just that—to be kind to somebody, to express kindness, to show kindness? Well, it always takes the initiative. It doesn't wait to be asked to do it. Secondly, let me show you this: kindness has always has the right incentive. Listen to what David's incentive is right here. I'm still in verse one. David says, is there any, yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, Jonathan is dead. He's gone, but that's his incentive right here. Now, watch, what incentivizes us? It's generally the bottom line. Am I gonna get paid for this? You know, am I going to make some money out of this? I remember as I got up around 12, 13 years of age, my daddy would send me to do something. I want you to go and do this. And I'd look at him and say, well, what's going to pay me to do it? And my daddy would look at me. He said, you get to eat supper tonight. How about that? You get to eat tonight. You get to sleep in my house tonight. How about that? You got the air conditioning on. And it's in the dead of July or June. It's hot enough. You got air conditioning. How do you like that? Is that pay enough? Yes, sir, it is. You're right, because I wanted to eat. I wanted to sleep inside tonight. Uh, but that night. But you do it because you love the family. You, you do it out of a love for your parents. You do it out of a love uh, for the home. You do it out of a love for the fact that God has put you in a good family. Well, the incentive here is this. It's for the sake of Jonathan, It was because of God. I had entered into this covenant with Jonathan. Now, I want to show you this. I want you to look at this. So, go with me back now, if you will, to uh, 1 Samuel, just a few pages back in verse 18. Do you remember chapter 17 is when David kills Goliath and Saul thinks, well, now I have found me a general. I found a warrior here. I found a kid with some real courage. And so it came about that when he had finished speaking to Saul, that's David, had finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as he loved himself. First Samuel 18, verse 2. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with him. There you go. Now, this covenant is mentioned a number of times If you read these couple of chapters, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And so he stripped himself of the robe that was on him. He gave him the Prince of Wales robe. The Prince of Wales always becomes the King of England. So he strips himself of his royal robe, the robe that speaks of his position. He gave it to David along with his armor, including his sword, his bow, and his belt. He gives him all the equipment that David is going to need. That was Jonathan's kindness. David, you're going to need this. You're going to lead the armies of Israel. You're going to have to have these things because not everybody in Israel had a sword. Not everybody in Israel had these things, this armor that Jonathan and Saul had. So he gives it to him. He says, I'll go into battle without it, but I want to give it to you. That was the kindness of Jonathan to David. And he and David enter into these covenants with one another. Saul gets mad, flies into fury, evil spirit comes on him, and uh, Saul attempts to pin David to the wall with a spear. And so David runs. And he comes back to Jonathan, and he looks at Jonathan, and he says, what in the world is going on with your dad that he wants to kill me so? That's in chapter 20. What have I done? Verse 1, what is my uh, iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he's seeking my life? Now, do you remember Jonathan looks at him and he says, David, don't worry about it. God's got you. You're God's man. Do you remember Jonathan says to David, David, you will sit on the throne of Israel and I will be at your side. Jonathan, in his kindness and his love for David, was willing for David. He knew what God's will was. By the way, let me tell you something. As long as David had Jonathan, David did not get into sin. Jonathan was a great influence on David's life, and he kept reminding him, David, you've been anointed king. You're going to be king. Don't worry about what my dad's going to do. God's going to protect you. He's going to watch over you. And so in chapter 20, they are making this plan uh, to know whether David or not could come back to the palace. Jonathan comes and he says, this is what we'll do. I'll let you know the kind of mood my father is in, but listen to what he says. I hope you've got your Bibles there. 1 Samuel 20, look at verse 15. You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. He said, David, I can tell you this. God's gonna protect you. He's going to wipe out my father. He's going to wipe out my father's family because of his sin, because of his sin of disobedience to God, and because of the way he's treated you. We're going to be wiped out. But David, I want you to remember this. You remember my children. You remember my kids, and you remember our covenant. That's going to figure clearly into all of this. And so David comes now in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and David does this. And listen, do you remember last week? Were y'all here last week? (laughs) You remember last week when we got over here to the Gibeonites, and the Gibeonites asked for the seven sons of Saul so that they could be put to death because of Saul's hatred and murder of the Gibeonites? And we read out of chapter 21, verse 7, but the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath of the Lord, which was between them, between David and Saul's son, Jonathan. He guards him. He protects him. He cares for him. Why? Because of that covenant. I swore, and I swore before God, I have made a covenant with you. You know, that's what you you do at an altar when you come down here to get married. That in marriage, you don't have a contract. you got a covenant, and you're swearing it before Almighty God is what you're doing. I'm going to live with this woman for the rest of my life. Better or worse, richer or poorer. Shoes or barefooted. I covenant. I've sworn that. That's what David does, does right here. He does that, and he says, my incentive is not because of money. Not because of ego. Will anybody notice this? Will anybody see me? I'll do it. You know what? I thought all this week, I, I thought about this. What was the incentive of these 200 adults that worked here in Vacation Bible School? I mean, for, for Monday through Friday, some of them were in here last Sunday setting up as soon as church let out. And I, I thought about that all week. Here, all these adults, listen, and I saw the fruit of the Spirit in them. They were They were patient. They were. They seemed to be at peace, whether they were or not, they, but they looked like it. They looked like they had joy. They were smiling. Uh, they were kind to these children. They were gentle with these children. They were here working. Listen, we didn't pay them a dime. Not a dime did they get. And a lot of them took off of work. And they didn't do it for name recognition. My star, what are we going to do? Stand them up and say, hey, they work with VBS. Way to go, you know. Many of them down in the basement working, you never saw them all week. Many of them up on the third floor, you never saw them all week. They did it out of a kindness. They did it out of a love for Jesus Christ and a love for kids, and they expressed it in that kindness. Their incentive was kindness. But number three, the third thing is this, is kindness has about it an inclusive nature. Now let's go back. We've done all I can do with verse one, so let's get to verse two. Now, there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, is there not any one of the house of Saul to whom I may show? Now, notice this. Look at how it expands. Not just kindness because of Jonathan, but may I, that I can show kindness, the kindness of God is there anybody to whom I can show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, but you need to know he is crippled in both his feet. And David said, well, forget that. That's not going to look good. I can't have somebody. Can't you find me somebody that looks good, like, you know, belongs on the cover of Cosmopolitan or something, People Magazine, can't you find me somebody that's healthy, that's whole? Can't you find me somebody that doesn't have needs, that I'm not gonna have to take up time with, that we're not gonna have to help, we're not gonna have to pour money into? David doesn't do that. Why? Because kindness is inclusive. It's not exclusive. If in your life you say, I'll be kind to those people who look like me who are my color, who are in my socioeconomic realm, who have an education like I do, then let me tell you what, I don't know what you've got, but it ain't kindness. They got their hair dyed like me. They, you know, they got a hairdo like me. Whatever it is, I don't know if they dress like me, whatever it is, I want to tell you something. Kindness is inclusive. It doesn't care what somebody looks like. It doesn't care where somebody comes from. It's, it's not concerned with the background. David didn't do that because kindness is inclusive. As soon as he said, Jonathan, who is crippled in his foot, where is he? You just tell me where he is, and I'm going to go and get him. Mattered not at all to David that he had some kind of difficulty. It had an inclusive nature about it. Now, let me show you the fourth thing. And the fourth thing is this. As you look at kindness, it demonstrates itself demonstratively. It's very demonstrative. It's very easy to spot. It's very... Kindness is something that stands out in our rude, very discourteous day kindness stands out. Listen, let me tell you something. I'm not so sure that the greatest tool we have evangelistically is kindness. Just be kind to somebody today. And once they get over the shock and they don't think that you're there to kill them, uh, they will then, listen, they will be drawn to the kindness of the people of God. If we were kind to people, let me tell you, we would have to beat them out that front door. To keep them out of here. Our showing kindness, listen, it's demonstrative. It's easy to see. Watch it what David does now. So let me just pick it up in verse four. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is in the house of Makir. Now Makir is just a guy. That's all we really know about him. He evidently now had fostered Mephibosheth. Now Mephibosheth was married. He had a son. The son's name was Micah. Uh, but uh, they cared for him. Mephibosheth could not care for a wife and a child. Uh, he couldn't do anything. He could not work. He was crippled in both of his feet. Uh, and there was nothing that he could do. So somebody, out of the kindness of their heart, the goodness, they took him in and they fostered him and his family. He says he's at the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Now, look at that. Are you looking at that? You got a Bible. Look at that name, Lodabar, that noun right there. You see the, the little part, low. That's a negative in Hebrew. So, it's going to be a negative. Dabar means pasture land or grassy area or grassland. So, Lodabar means a barren place. It's a wilderness. It's a desert. No grass, no life, Nothing springing up there, nothing green there. It's a place you could say of no grace whatsoever. Now, Mephibosheth's life was extremely hard, extremely difficult, and now he lives in what's called a graceless place, a place that is barren, a place that is arid, a place where there is no life. That's where he is, and King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, from Lodebar. Verse 6, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. Now, let me just stop and talk to you about Mephibosheth and what's going on in his life. You're there in 2 Samuel. Go back just to chapter 4 of 2 Samuel because you get the story of what had happened Saul and Jonathan and his other sons had gone out to fight the Philistines. You remember Saul is wounded and then he takes his own life. He commits suicide. Jonathan is killed. The other sons are killed. The Philistines defeat the army of Israel. Word gets back. And his word gets back, people panic. They're going to try to outrun exactly what you've seen in Ukraine. People panic. The Russians are coming. We got to get out of here. And so they just pack up and they leave. Well, that's what's happening. Second Samuel chapter four, verse four. Now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame, and they named him Mephibosheth. Now, that wasn't always his name. Now, I'm not going to take you there, but in 1 Chronicles chapter 8, you find his name. Mary Baal, M-E-R-I hyphen B-A-A-L, Baal. It's a diphthong. We say Baal, Mary Baal. In other words, in the Hebrew, the one who will contend with Baal. That's what they named him, warrior. The guy who is going to be the warrior who will defeat these Canaanites. They had high hopes for this boy. They had big hopes for this boy. They thought this boy was going to grow up, and by the time he became king, he would be the savior who would deliver Israel from these Canaanites. Now, at five years of age, he has an accident, he's dropped, he fell, and he became lame in both of his feet, and they change his name from Mary Baal to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth means despised, held in contempt, so that he goes from being the guy who will bring us victory against the Canaanites to being I despise you. So that every time his name was called anywhere, anywhere his name was called, all he heard was, hey, you one that I hold in contempt. Hey, you one that we despise. Hey, you disappointment. We had great hopes for you, but you've just disappointed us. And here he is, (laughs) tragically, sadly, that in a moment's time, it goes from victory to being despised, and he lives in a place that has no life, that's barren, that's hard, that's difficult. Now, watch it what happens. Mephibosheth, you've got to get the picture in your mind. The son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face and prostrated himself. When he came into that throne room, when they began to bring him in, he got down on his knees. He let loose of his crutches. He got down on his knees and he fell over on his face and he began to use, because his legs were of no use, he begins to crawl his way toward David. David. This is as heartbreaking as anything you can see. And David calls out and he says, Mephibosheth, is this who you are? Is that you? And he said, here is your servant. This broken man out of a hard life, down on his face now, on his belly, And he says, here's your servant. What could he do? He couldn't do anything. He couldn't serve in any kind of way. And David comes over to him and stoops down and he says, don't be afraid. Don't don't, don't fear. I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Jonathan. I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to demonstrate kindness to you. And watch it the first thing he does, he says all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, I'm giving to you. You don't have to live with anybody else. You don't have to have anybody foster you. You don't have to have anybody take care of you. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you your own farm. I'm going to give you your own ranch. And I know you can't work it, Mephibosheth. I know you can't work it, so I'm going to give the servants that served your grandfather Saul, Ziba, and his sons. They are now going to be employed by you. They will work for you. They will till the ground. They will plant the seed. They will harvest the crop. They will take it to market and sell it. They will bring the money back. You are not going to be poor and broken anymore. I'm going to take care of you. Listen, let me tell you, I'm going to get Pentecostal up here. It, y'all just sitting there looking at me. This, this, Do you see this? He says, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to restore to you. And then look at this, number three. You shall eat at my table regularly. You know how many times that's said in about seven verses? Less than that. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, seven verses. Four times in seven verses. Four times in seven verses, you will eat at my table, you will eat at my table, you will eat at my table, you will eat at my table. table. You're going to come. You're not going to have to worry about food. You're not going to have to worry about anything anymore. Here's what I'm going to do for you. You know what that is? The Hebrew word for this is hesed. I gave you the New Testament word, Christos. It's hesed. Now, let me tell you what the word, the word hesed is oftentimes translated grace, kindness, grace. And the word meant that this flow, Hebrew is a picture language. Let me show you the picture of hesed, the picture of grace. You've got a young girl who has a baby and when that baby cries, she feels that milk come in. And she's able to nurse. Now, I don't have a clue. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what the crying of a baby does to a mother. But for some reason, somehow, it brings her milk on. And she flows with milk that nourishes the baby. That's exactly the word. Is that God, when he looks at us in our sin, out of him, that sin just pulls up in him. And out of him flows grace and kindness to us. My stars, what a picture. That's what it was. It was an incredible picture of the grace of God in David's life flowing through David in kindness toward Mephibosheth. That's incomparable, church. There's nothing you can compare this to. Do you know Mephibosheth should have been an enemy of David? David should have put him to death. Why? Because he was a direct descendant of Saul and he would have laid claim to the throne. You watch Braveheart, Robert the Bruce, John uh, Balliol's, the Balliol's, and uh, John. Uh, who's the other guy? Some, somebody knows Scottish history. Who's the other claimant? They all were descended from David first, who was the king of the Scots, the first king of the Scots. Well, what did Robert the Bruce do? He put them all down. <laughs> he defeated. He, he cut their throats. He uh, chopped their heads off so that there is no... That's what David should have done. You did not leave someone who could claim the throne. And just the ap- opposite happens. That's what you expect the world to do. But the kindness of God is incomparable. The world doesn't do this. Now, the world is kind. You remember what Jesus said? The world is kind. It loves its own. If you love only those who love you, Jesus said, where's your reward in that? Here's David doing what nobody would do because the kindness of God is incomparable, but it's also incomprehensible. You just cannot comprehend this. I want you to look at this. Look at what's said at the end of verse 7. You shall eat at my table regularly. Come on down to the end of verse 10. You shall eat at my table regularly. Look down at uh, the end of verse 11. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table. Look, it expands it as one of the king's sons. He brought him into his table, put him down there at the table where he was, and he treated him as if he were a prince of Israel. Now, do you know what you can do with that? You just take Mephibosheth's name out of there and you put your name in there. Just lift his name out. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Mac, the son of Donald, the son of David, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself and said, and David said, Mac, and he said, here's your servant. Listen, I just put my name right in there because you know what? There was a time when sin had crippled my life. And I lived in the land of Lodibar, the land of the dead. I was dead in my trespasses and sin, but a king came for me. And that king came and he took me and he made me his son. And one day that king is coming back and I'm going to go sit at his table forever. Woo, just sit there. That's what he's going to do. That's what this is all about. That's the kindness of Jesus Christ. That's the kindness of God. But let me show you one last thing. And the last thing is this. I want you to see that it has an infective character. Kindness is infectious. You know, I, I, I fly a fair amount And whenever I fly and something happens, you got to go change a ticket, you got to do this, you got to do something. I go toward the the counter where all the Delta personnel are and you're heading up there. I forever, every stinking time get behind somebody that is chewing the, the girl out. Every single time, they're up there, they're ranting, they're raving, they're throwing, I'm contacting the president of Delta. Listen, you get the president of the United States quicker than you get to the president of Delta. I'm going to tweet this. I'm going to get on social media. I'm going to give you this and that and the other, and they just fight. And I think to myself, now, that's who I'm going to get. I got to go in right behind this to ask them to change my flight. Now, what do you think they're going to (laughs) do? They're going to tell everybody no today. Buddy, this this is it. They're mad. They're upset. I, I want to tell you. I, I learned a long time ago what to do. I, I, I walk up and I'll say something like this: "Boy, I sure am sorry you have to put up with that. I know it's not your fault. You don't you don't make the rules. You're just here to help. Thank you for being here to help. And uh, I apologize for that person. You know, if I can apologize, I apologize for him. I need some help." If you could help me, I need to change a flight. If you can, that'll be great. If you can't, I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to be mad at you. And I want to tell you something. Ten out of, nine out of ten times, they generally, you know why? Because kindness is infectious. Just like a stinking jerky attitude is infectious. You just be a jerk, you'll find out everybody else around you is a jerk you be kind to people, you'll discover people generally, not always, but generally, they'll turn around, they'll be kind. There's something here that takes place. I'm just gonna read it to you. My time is gone. But I'm gonna take you over to 2 Samuel chapter 17. Do you remember when Absalom's rebellion took place and he succeeded in taking Jerusalem and he was on his way to the, palace where david his father was and david had to grab his wives and his children and all they had time to do was just get out of the house they crossed over the kidron they went down to the jordan to cross over the jordan they were out in the wilderness they had absolutely nothing there were three men that came to him one was a guy named shobi we don't know really anything about shobi but he came there to meet david The other is Brazillai. I love this guy. He was 80 years old. But he ruled his little town. He ruled his little village. And uh, David loved him. And David wanted him to come back to Jerusalem. You come back. You you won't have to worry about anything. You won't have to work anymore. You won't have to. You come sit at my table, Brazillai. Brazillai said, I'm 80 years old. Let me just go back home and die at home. But there's a third guy that came. And listen to what they brought. They brought beds, because they didn't have a bed. They brought beds, basins, pottery, wheat, barley flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, parched seeds, honey, curd, sheep, cheese of the herd, David and the people who were with him to eat, for they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. These three men brought all of this stuff, and they met David out of the kindness of their heart. Who's the third guy? Makir. Of Lodibar. Why? Because Makir had seen David in his kindness to Mephibosheth that he had cared for all of these years. And he saw how David cared for him. And in that moment, <laughs> Makir said, I'm going to go do for David what David has been doing for Mephibosheth. You see, kindness is infective. Now, you remember I shared with you that the word kindness is Christos in the Greek. In the early first Christian century, the pagans were confused about the Christians. And they asked the question, Are these people who are Christos or followers of Christos because they confused kindness with Christ and Christ with kindness? Are they followers of Christos or of Christos? Would Birmingham, look at us and say, who do they follow? Kindness or Christ? So that when they look at us, they see Christ because of our kindness. Let's stand. Now, I don't know where that hits you, but I tell you, we should have cornered the market on this. If there's anything that the church should be doing in an incredible way, it should be showing kindness to a lost world by showing kindness to one another. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not saved. You've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Listen, what you've heard is this that Christ is kind to you, even in your lostness. You remember what Jesus said? That God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Listen, let me tell you something. You may be as lost as a goose, but in your life, I can assure you, you have experienced over and over and over again the kindness of Jesus Christ. Why not come to him? and embrace the one who died for you. Why not come to Listen, the kindness of God is that he allowed you here in this place to hear from his word and to extend an invitation for, for you to come to him, that you can come to him. Whoever you are this morning, you can come to Jesus Christ. You can know him as your Lord and Savior. The very one who has been so kind to you. Others of you, all of us here that have named the name of Christ, we know we can give testimony to the kindness of Jesus Christ. But can we give testimony of how we live out the kindness of Christ day by day by day in front of a world that is starved to know what kindness is all about? Father, in these moments, I I pray for your name to be honored, for you to be glorified for our response to be pleasing to you. I pray that, Father, you've been so kind to us, so good to us, so merciful, so forgiving, so loving, so long-suffering, so patient with us. I pray that what we do in these few moments that we call invitation, Father, would bring a smile to your face. I pray that we would respond to your word in a way that would honor you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Would you come now? Kirkwood leads us. You come as we sing. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.